Today on Abounding Grace, we introduce you to Peter, an ordinary man who is met by grace. This is amazing grace. We're delighted to be with you. This is Abounding Grace, and today Pastor Ed Taylor kicks off his new study of 1 Peter. We'll get to know the author today, and I think you'll be encouraged as we do. You see, Peter was just an ordinary guy. He was untrained and uneducated, but God used him in a powerful way, and he can do the same in and through you. Let's be reminded of God's wonderful work of grace in the lives of his followers. Take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Peter, an Ordinary Man Met by Grace. Peter, an Ordinary Man. You know, never once does the Bible overlook or dismiss the faults and failures of the men and women that he's chosen to use. Plainly, he writes through the pen of Paul when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, he said, Instead, God chose those things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. In the New King James, those that are the foolish things of the world that confound the wise. And always on display is the wonderful glory of the grace of God, the glorious power of His Spirit, on ordinary men and weak and frail men and women on the earth. When describing the brilliant gift of grace, I, I love how it's described. Hold your place in First Peter. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. And I love how Paul ends that passage in chapter 2. It's, it's such a highlight of the Bible, chapter 2, but I love how he ends it. Notice with me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Never forget we're saved not by our good works, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's no question. And at, as he's writing in this section, this little paragraph, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8 it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by our good works. And that's something that goes both ways. We're not saved by the amount of good that we have or how perfect we think we are or all the work. We're not saved by that. Neither are we condemned because we're failures or that we have stumbled and fallen or because we've made mistakes, because we have sinned. You see, if salvation were of works, then it would be easy to brag about it. We'd be able to come together and brag about how good we were this week. We'd be able to compare it with one another. We could, on some weeks, think about it. On some days, some weeks, we could feel really good about ourselves and look down on someone else. 
On other weeks, other days, somebody would look good, compare better than us, and we would condemn ourselves, and we'd be all beat up. No, salvation is not of works. It's not a continual pressure to work, to work, to work, to work our whole lives, and then finally at the end, never be sure that God loves us. Never be sure that God cares for us. Never be sure that we're going to make it in. No, he doesn't put it that. He doesn't put together our relationship with him based upon our works. But rather, it is a gift of grace. And what do we do with gifts? We receive them. We open them. And we enjoy them. Gifts are great to receive and to give. And God gives the gift of salvation to anyone that will repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's good news. God saves anyone that will turn to him. So we're not here today. We're not gathered today. We're not online. We're not listening to Christian radio because we gave a lot. We're not here today because we read a lot or we sang a lot or we prayed a lot. We're here because of Jesus. That's what brings us together. That's where real unity lies. When we are together under the shadow of the cross, looking at the empty tomb and recognizing that anything that we have, we find unity in the Spirit of God. That means anyone, anywhere, from any background, any skin color, speaking any language, that doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account, it doesn't matter if the ink is black or red, doesn't matter. God brings us together by faith in Jesus Christ, not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done for us. We're here for Him. We're here to worship Him. Everything that He's doing in and through us. And did you notice that word? Maybe you've never noticed it before, especially those of you that are newer to the Bible. Again, back in Ephesians, you've got to mark this word because it's beautiful. It's a neat thing to be reminded of, those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And those of you that are new to the Bible, this is such a beautiful word in verse 10. Now, we're back in the New King James, by the way. And in the New King James, it's not really a pretty word where he says, for we are His workmanship. And it sounds like a heavy word, but it's actually a very beautiful word in the Greek language. It's the word poema. And it may sound familiar to you because it's the same word we get our English word, poem. We're his workmanship. We're his poem. Every follower of Jesus Christ is a different developing work of God. That's why we can all be different and yet still one in Christ. You're a work in progress. You could say you're like a sweet poem or a beautiful song that's written of God's grace. That's why we got to give space to one another because not everybody's at the same place. Not, not everybody is at the same place maturity-wise. Not everybody is at the same place uh, in the amount of time they've been serving God. Hey, not everybody here is even a believer in Jesus Christ yet. And we want to show the love and the grace and the mercy that we've experienced to everyone around us. And remember that God's still working on your neighbor, the person you're sitting next to, the person that you're exactly three chairs from right now. God is still working in them. God is still working in those that are watching. God is still working on you right now because he loves you. He's developing you. There's a Bible word for that, a theological word. If you want to study it, you can just put this word in the search bar in our website and you can listen to the Bible study on sanctification. Sanctification is that work, that ongoing work of God that is conforming you and shaping you and molding you into the image of Jesus Christ. 
I love that about God because he also does that and still preserves our personalities. Now, of course, the sinful parts of our personalities, God never approves of. But I think of just looking at how many people I know in this room and how many people I know that are, part, that are just so different. Their personality is different. Their perspective is different. And yet God, he honors who you are, your upbringing and what, where you came. But then at the same time, we're all heading in the same direction. God is working out in our lives. He's developing us. And I think it's important, church, that we remind people who say that Christians aren't all that great. Remind people in our lives that say, well, I know Christians, you guys aren't perfect. I know Christians, you guys fail all the time. They, they look at the church, and probably more so now than ever before, and they see a, a group of people filled with inconsistencies, filled with mixed messages. Christians who have one message. You know, we have one message because we have one Savior and we have one faith. And yet, in tumultuous times, there's a confusion that comes from the church because they hear so many messages from believers. They hear so many different things. They see inconsistencies in our mouths and in our behavior and in our obedience. They could even look at the church today, and I'm certain that you've had someone in your life, I'm certain that you've had someone that you talk to go, you know, I don't want anything to do with Christians because it's just that the church is filled with hypocrites. And you might be a little defensive on that. Next time somebody says that the church is filled with hypocrites, you just tell them, I know. I go to one. I understand. I am one. There's inconsistencies in my life, hypocrisies that flow from my life from time to time. You know, when someone brings that up to you, you might want to remind them the truth is they wouldn't really believe us on how bad we used to be. We may be bad now, but we were really bad apart from Christ. And you know, there might be difficulties now, but we are the product of a changed life. And not only are we a product of a changed life, but we're the product of a changing life. That's why it's inconsistent for a believer to live in sin, to live in unconfessed sin, to be dabbling. You know, some of you have been delivered some, so some radical things. You have been delivered from them. That's why it makes no sense for you as a believer to go back to them. It just makes no sense. You might approach it, well, you know, I've been reading the Bible lately, Ed, and, and the Bible says I have freedom. Yeah, the Bible says you have freedom to stay away from the things that God delivered you from in the first place. And we are filled with inconsistencies and hypocrisies at times. You're right. But man, we were so much worse before the Lord got a hold of us. We were so, we were filled with so much, and yet today we're saved and we're redeemed and we're justified. You could say that workmanship, you could also kind of think of it as a trophy. God, God sees you and me as his trophies of grace. That we become the examples of what God can really do. We see failures all around. We've been studying the hall of faith. And each time we come to one of the men or a women in the hall of faith, we're reminded that they weren't perfect people, that they were filled with failure and God was really gracious with them. And yet they also paid the price for the consequences of forgiven sin. They had a relationship with God, but they stumbled along the way. And, and as they stumbled, they, they had to face the consequence, all the difficulties for sure. So it's the trophy doesn't rep represent perfection but it does represent the faithfulness of God. And that's how you're going to look at yourself. You're going to either see yourself for your failures 
Or are you going to see yourself for the faithfulness of God? And I just choose the latter. I don't want to focus on all my failures as much as I want to remember that God is still working in my life. It's a gift of His grace. He's still working, still working. Even now as I'm speaking to you, as you're listening to this, God is at work in your life. And sometimes I think that we look at each other and we look at each other and say, oh, you know, that's not good. That's not right. How can you do that? And why are you doing that? And it's like the Lord saying is our potter, you know, he says, he, he answers back. He says, oh, no, you know, what you see, it's not even half as bad as they are. You, you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know how bad they are. You don't know how bad they could be. You don't know how bad they would be, but I'm working in them. I'm fashioning them. And it helps us to show patience with one another and how wonderful the work of God is in our lives. So why the reminder of God's work? Not only for us, but I want to introduce you today to a man by the name of Peter. So draw with me 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's read together. Are you ready? Verse 1. Peter. Let's stop right there. That's what we're going to look at today. Peter. Peter, a trophy of the grace of God. You know, it didn't begin with you, right? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 was written long before you were born. The work of God didn't begin with you. As you go back looking through the men and the women in the Bible, God has done the same thing all throughout the ages. In the very beginning of time, in the Garden of Eden, where do we find but a gracious, loving Father going after the brokenness of the kids in the Garden after their great failure. God was going after them, pursuing them, because grace started in the Garden. Creation in and of itself is an act of the grace of God. Uh, him giving us the opportunity to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And notice it says, Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter launches his letter, not as, it doesn't say, Peter, I'm the big failure you read about. Yeah, I'm the guy that puts my foot in my mouth. Oh yeah, I'm the guy that fell when I did stop looking at Jesus. That's who I am. I just wanted you to know, Peter the failure. No, no, no. He's Peter an apostle. He belongs to Jesus Christ. He isn't write himself, he doesn't describe himself, I should say, as Peter the fisherman, or Peter the failure, or Peter the doubter, or Peter the denier. There's a lot of ways he could describe himself, but when he writes his letter, inspired of the Spirit, speaking to the church, encouraging them, he writes as an apostle, one that's sent by God. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not a failure, but an apostle. God's identity. You know, there were many today, and even those who, and earlier on, the scholars of the time, that questioned the authorship of this letter. And there will be actually people that read, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and you would say to them, uh, you know, their teachers and professors, who wrote Peter? Peter didn't write Peter, but it says Peter wrote Peter. Doesn't it say Peter in your letter? Look again at your Bible. What does it say? Say it out loud. Peter. Peter. So who wrote first Peter? Peter? Peter. Don't let the skeptics and everyone try to undermine. Peter wrote Peter. Some say, oh, it was somebody that forged his letter. Well, I encourage you. It's not a long letter. It's very quick to read. It's only a few chapters. Spend some time over the course of us going through Peter together. Read the whole thing in one sitting. Just read the whole thing in one sitting and listen to Peter the pastor. 
Remember when Peter was restored by Jesus? He was told, tend to my flock. Tend my flock. Take care of my sheep. Those were words that speak of shepherding and pastoring. And as you read the book of 1 Peter and even 2 Peter, in one sitting, just read it down, sit down, read it through. Tell me if you don't hear, I'll draw it out in our Bible studies. It'll take some time as we go verse by verse, but I'll draw it out to show you the pastoral heart of this man, how he learned from his mistakes, how he grew from them, how he learned. He wasn't this untrained. Remember, jot it down in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, one of the criticisms that Peter, didn't, that Peter wrote this, or didn't write this, is that he was just an untrained fisherman. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, uh, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Those are more technical terms in the Greek language that, that speak of not having formal training. The way we would say that today is, oh, look at Ed. He hasn't been to seminary. That's really what they're saying. Look at that guy. What kind of authority can he have in teaching the Bible? Where's his education? He's untrained. He's uneducated like us. And that's what they're saying about Peter. They saw boldness in them. They saw strength in them, but they came to, how is this possible? Because he wasn't formally trained. But we have to remember something. And even in your own life, because there may be that accusation in your life. It's like, who are you? You don't know the Bible. You might even come across somebody that's very well trained and, and they have a different theological belief. So you're trying to talk about the love of God and love of Christ. And it happens to me a lot where like, you know, somebody comes with their man-made religion and I go, no way, man. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. And then finally, when they're tired of hearing what the Bible has to say, it says, well, where, where did you go to school? Well, let's see, elementary school, I went to, uh, and I think my junior high was this, and like, what, what does that have anything to do with it? What does the Bible say? And so with Peter, understand this. It's true statement that in the formalism of education, he was indeed untrained and uneducated. Except that understand, Jesus taught this guy day in and day out for three years. Three years. A thousand plus days he had a personal education from Jesus himself. And I don't know about you, but I would trade any formal education for three years hanging out with Jesus any day of the week. Now, of course, we don't have Jesus' physical presence today. We are unable to enjoy the training that, that Peter received. However, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the Bible that's illuminated and our time invested our time invested. Every time you set to do your devos in the morning or at night, whatever, you're getting time with Jesus. Anytime, if you take me up on my offer and read through Peter on a regular basis through our study, you got time with Jesus. Anytime you're praying, you've got time with Jesus and the internal working of the Holy Spirit. Besides gathering for Bible study, besides Christian radio, besides listening to studies on your app, besides watching teachings on YouTube, all of those things, they provide training. Don't let anyone minimize you because you don't have formal education. And I realize some of you wanted formal, some of you still want formal education. But I'm telling you that time with Jesus will get you where you want to go. Now, I'm often misunderstood at this point where I'll get an email or somebody, oh, there's Ed again talking about seminary. Listen, 
If I could have gone to seminary, I would have. I love to study. I love to read. I love to learn. And, and don't get mad at me, but school is very easy for me. Just always has been. That's how I got in so much trouble. Uh, school was very easy. The system of learning, I adapt very quickly, and I can learn things relatively quickly, which means I finish things early. It has a lot of time on my hands, and all that time on my hands got me in a lot of trouble. So I, I love school, but I, because I got in a lot of trouble and I got myself a little backwards in life, I couldn't go to school. It just wasn't possible. So don't misunderstand me when you say that. Uh, if I could, I would. Um, even open to uh, having education as an open doors. Like I am no way whatsoever, ever, never, never against formal education. I'm not against seminary education or Bible college education. We have many young people right now. They're in Bible college, both online and they're there on, the, on, on campus. I love education. I love Bible college. I love seminary. I, I, just like I taught my kids. I taught my kids this from the moment they could understand it. I said, look, Get as much education as you can, as fast as you can, and the dad in me, of course, added, as cheap as you can. Because education opens doors. And in our culture, the more education you have, the more doors that open. And of course, some of you are in very skilled positions and places that require education. And that's God's calling in your life. And so you pursued it. So don't misunderstand me that, that man, oh, Ed's against education. Not at all. At all. Get as much training as you can. But listen, I am as a pastor and as your friend, I am against the idea that simple education, apart from the Holy Spirit, is really useful for the kingdom of God. It needs to have the Spirit of God. So what I mean by that too, for those of you listening, like want to spend all this money on seminary, like if you're just going to seminary for the degree and not to be trained in ministry by the Holy Spirit, then what's the use? What's the purpose? You're on this earth for the kingdom of God. So everything that we do needs to be for the kingdom. We, we want to be able to, but, but at the same time, listen, don't underestimate the education and training of Peter. Don't underestimate. Don't come to him like that and go, oh, they're uneducated and untrained men. Because some of you turn to Acts 4 and you know that the verse doesn't end there. The verse doesn't end with, oh, they were uneducated. Like it, they, they, the verse goes on. It says they marveled. Here's the rest of the verse. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That was the key. Oh, they're uneducated and untrained. But the boldness that they had was because they were with Jesus. They were enjoying him. We can't underestimate the man Peter here or even underestimate what God can do through your life. You, individually, your own story. Yes, just like Peter, God can do a wonderful work in our lives, too, by His abounding grace. And this is Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is just getting started in 1 Peter. Our introductory message is titled, Peter, an Ordinary Man Met by Grace. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. We're also on Apple Podcasts. And if you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. 
And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot. Maybe you never realized this before, but there is a link between suffering and love. God's love for us is evidenced in the sending of Jesus to carry our sins on the cross. He faced the ultimate pain of suffering, but through it all, won the victory on our behalf. This truth has led Elizabeth to say, whatever is in the cup that God is offering me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief, along with the many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust him, because suffering is never for nothing. Request a copy today by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. You know, your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Join us tomorrow for Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor will cover more ground in the first chapter of 1 Peter. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.